Hey everybody and welcome to ARE Live. I'm Chris Hopstock, Architect Education Specialist here at Black Spectacles. I'm excited to be your host for today's ARE Live. During this live, we're going to revisit several questions focused on site selection from PPD, PDD, and PA. We'll discuss how to locate a building on a site, considering factors such as topography and zoning regulations. If you're joining us for the first time, Black Spectacles is the first ever NCARB-approved online test prep provider for all six of the ARE 5.0 divisions. Our test prep includes video lectures, practice exams, quizzes, flashcards, and virtual workshops, all available online with memberships available for either individual architects, firms, AIA chapters, or schools. If you're curious about how you can get your whole firm on a membership and have your boss pay for it, go to blackspectacles.com and head to our pricing section. I'll share a link in the chat for that. We're also the first test prep provider to offer an ARE guarantee. If you use our expert membership to the fullest and don't pass the ARE, we'll pay for your retake. I'll share a link for, the, uh, for that in the chat as well. We have an exciting addition to our ARE study materials to announce. We recently rolled out section quizzes for all six of the ARE 5.0 divisions to help you pass your exams. Over 500 quiz questions are now available with any Black Spectacles membership. Use our quizzes to identify where you're strong and what areas need more attention and master the material with detailed explanations for each answer. We're adding new test prep content all year, so stay tuned to see what's next. Our next ARE Live broadcast will take place Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. In honor of the summer solstice, we'll go through several mock exam questions from the Programming and Analysis Division with a focus on sun, wind, and light. We'll discuss the sun path diagram, how to design with the sun in mind for daylighting and passive heating, and how to use the wind for passive cooling. Just like for today's ARE Live, we'll be sending out a mock exam link in advance so you can test your knowledge before going over the answers during the live broadcast. Today, we'll be engaging exclusively in our ARE community, so head over to that thread if you haven't already. You can either click the link that I just shared in the chat box or find it in the ARE Live section of our ARE community homepage. Everyone who posts on our thread today will be eligible to win a free Black Spectacles t-shirt, so head over to community.blackspectacles.com and just say hi. Don't forget to stay tuned until the end of the podcast to see if you won. Share that link in the chat box and you can find it in the episode description if you're listening after the broadcast. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, for each question that we go over today, I'm going to start by analyze the question by asking, what is the question writer really trying to see if I understand? And I think it's great practice for any standardized test to really think about questions this way. And I suggest anyone studying for the ARE or really practice writing their own questions. I mean, I think you'll, you'll start to see questions from the question writer's perspective and it'll help you tackle the tough ones that you don't know the answer to right away. So let's get right into it in question one. An architect is preparing their drawings for review by the authority having jurisdiction for a new commercial building in a downtown area. Which of the following items should the architect demonstrate compliance with on their zoning analysis sheet? And this is a check the three that apply question with six choices. So 
what is this question really about? Um, all the choices here, setback requirements, maximum number of stories per IBC table 504.4, floor area ratio requirements, permitted uses, exit discharge to the public way, and fire ratings of exterior walls are going to be part of an architect's permit set, but this question is specifically asking about the zoning analysis sheet. Um, so you're really being tested on if you know which of these items are zoning requirements and which are other types of requirements, maybe like uh, building code requirements. And this, this knowledge becomes important when you're practicing because you really wanna put all of the information in the right place on your, um, on your document set and your construction document set for the building department to review. Uh, if, if you start putting building code compliance information on the zoning sheet or vice versa, you'll, you'll end up with a frustrated building department that's probably spending more time than they usually do looking at your set and it could just lead to a whole host of problems. So I know um, a lot of candidates have confusion about what's covered by a zoning ordinance versus what's covered in the building code. And I think it's always helpful to, to differentiate by first remembering that zoning requirements aren't a code. Uh, they're laws that each municipality creates to control land use uh, within their boundaries. Um, there's, there's no standard zoning document uh, that you need to be familiar with for the ARE like there is for the building code with the 2018 International Building Code. And generally the purposes of a zoning ordinance is to regulate um, what kinds of buildings can be placed in certain zones and the size and placement and maybe the height of buildings on, on lots within those zones. So I think sometimes it's helpful to think about zoning as controlling kind of two things, uh, both the use of, of the property and the envelope of the building, which is often referred to as bulk requirements. And conversely, to think of the building code as controlling everything from the envelope inwards in a building, particularly having to do with life safety issues. So with, with, uh, with that background, let's take a look at our choices, remembering that this is a check the three that apply question. Now, I know some of you might know the answer to, that, to this question without really having to analyze it, and that's fantastic. Um, but we're, we're gonna go through this question assuming you have a general idea of what zoning governs, but you're, you're not quite sure uh, about every single answer choice that's listed here. And uh, let's, let's just go through these in reverse order. It doesn't really matter what order we go through them in. So starting with choice F, the, the fire rating of exterior walls and openings. This choice might jump out at you at first as being correct because it has to do with the envelope of the building. And we just talked about zoning sort of governing the envelope and the bulk of a building. But remember that zoning really governs things like, uh, having to do with the envelope anyway, really governs the, the size and location of buildings on site. It, it doesn't govern things like fire ratings of exterior walls you, and, and openings. You, if you're drawing an axonometric diagram on your zoning sheet, you might show these fire rated openings in your diagram, but you're not demonstrating compliance with the building code requirement here. So um, with all that said, I think we can safely eliminate choice F as an answer. Um, moving on to choice E, exit just discharge to the public way. This is kind of another tricky choice. Um, 
on, on a site plan on your zoning sheet, you certainly might show the exit discharge to the public way. Um, think about a building that's maybe set back from the front property line or, or any property line really where you have walkways from the building exits to the sidewalk. You'd, you'd probably show those walkways on a site plan, but uh, on the zoning sheet. But let's read the question again. It says, which of the following items should the architect demonstrate compliance with on their zoning analysis sheet? Not, not simply just show the item on the sheet, but demonstrate the compliance. So while you might show the exit discharge like we just talked about, you won't demonstrate compliance with the specific building code requirement for exit discharge on your zoning sheet. So, and that's because exit discharge is a life safety issue and it's not part of most, uh, if not all zoning ordinances because it doesn't relate to the use or bulk of the property. So with that said, I think we can safely eliminate choice E as well. So at this point, we've eliminated two choices. We have four left and we know that three of these are correct. Uh, on, on the test, you could certainly just start looking for, out of your remaining four choices, just start looking for the one that you think is incorrect. That would probably be an efficient use of your time and, and we'll, we'll let you give more time to, to other answer choices. But for the purposes of this mock exam, we're, we're just going to go through each of the other four choices and explain a little bit about each one. So choice C, permitted uses. This is, like we said, one of the main things that are governed by zoning ordinances. Uh, Municipalities with zoning are usually interested in deciding which areas of their jurisdiction make the most sense for either residential, commercial, or industrial properties, and maybe even where mixed-use development might be desirable in, in their overall planning vision for their, um, for their city or town or, or their municipality. Um, now, because the word use is in this answer, you, you could find yourself second-guessing yourself and start thinking about occupancy classifications that are covered in the building code, but keep those two things separate in your mind. The, the building code doesn't tell you what kinds of uses are permitted on a particular property. It considers how the building is going to be used when it talks about the type of occupancy that you have, um, which is used to determine things like occupant load so you can size the egress system. But the types of uses that are permitted on a property are, are one of the major zoning requirements in any zoning ordinance and that's that's definitely something that should be included on the zoning compliance sheet and not only should you list what types of uses are allowed on a particular parcel of land but you should list the types of uses that are going to be in your building so that you can show the AHJ that you are uh, compliant with their requirements there so with that said permitted uses is uh, definitely a correct answer Moving on to floor area ratio requirements, this is another classic zoning requirement. Um, floor area ratio, which is sometimes abbreviated as FAR, tells you how many square feet your building can have based on the size of the lot. So in a lot of urban areas, this might be a pretty high number, maybe 10 or 15, so that you can get um, some, some densely populated or, or dense commercial areas in a city. And, in some suburban areas, it might even be a fraction like 0.5, something like that. Um, and um, to, to use the floor area ratio, you simply multiply the FAR by the size of the lot. So if you have, let's say, an FAR of, of 10 and 
here on a city lot that is 50 by 100, you would simply, uh, which is a 5,000 square foot lot, you simply multiply the 5,000 square feet by the 10 FAR, and you would end up at a 50,000 square feet allowable building on that site. Uh, so with all that said, that's definitely a zoning requirement, and you should demonstrate compliance with that on your zoning sheet, uh, just like you would with permitted uses. List the maximum FAR that's allowed, show that you are at that number or maybe below that number, but certainly not over, and that will demonstrate compliance um, with FAR requirements on your zoning sheet. So choice C, certainly correct. Moving on to choice B, the maximum number of stories per IBC table 504.4. Um, I think if you're in a rush and you see the first part of this answer, maximum number of stories, you might check this one off and, as correct and move on. But this is a great example of why you need to make sure you read the entire answer every single time. Um, so while, while zoning can certainly tell you how many stories you could build, uh, this answer choice is referring to a building code requirement that um, is a life safety issue. It has to do with the occupancy classification, the construction type, and whether or not the building is sprinklered. That's what this particular IBC table is going to tell you about um, the maximum number of stories you can put in your property. And zoning ordinances typically also, they, they tend to control the absolute height of your building. Uh, they might say that your building can be 100 feet. That's the maximum height. They don't typically control the number of stories in a building um, because the story height could vary depending on uh, client requirements or the design of the building or uh, really anything. So it's it's a little bit more straightforward for a planning board to dictate the maximum height of a building and not get into the number of stories um, that they allow on a site. So with with all that said, B is, we're going to mark B incorrect, and that leaves A as correct, but let's just talk about A, and, and as a matter of practice on the exam, even if you get to this point and you're left with an answer that must be correct because this is a check the three that apply question, you should still take a look at it and make sure that you agree with it and, and make sure that your logic so far is, is correct. So choice A, setback requirements. This is another way that zoning ordinances can control the bulk of a project. Uh, they may specify setbacks at the ground level of a project by saying you need maybe a 30-foot rear yard or front setbacks of five feet from the property line. Um, in some urban areas, setbacks might also apply above a certain height. Um, in, I, I spent the, most, the majority of my career practicing in New York City and 85 feet is a common height in New York, above which you, your building has to set back um, usually 10 or 15 feet um, in order to get more light down to the street. Uh, by, by specifying these setbacks, the zoning ordinance is um, creating stepped buildings that move away from the street so that sunlight can get down to street level. So um, like we said, A is correct, and that's three correct answers here in a check three that apply question. So that just about does it for question one. So to summarize, um, you know, make sure you're familiar with the differences between what zoning ordinances and building codes govern. It's definitely a common type of question that pops up on the PA exam and maybe even other different uh, exams on the ARE.
So with that said, let's move on to question two. An architect is working to locate a proposed restaurant project on the subject site, which is located in a mountainous area. The client wants this restaurant to have a view towards the northeast. There's a famous valley about a half mile away in that direction. What's the best location for the restaurant on the site plan? And we've got four um, letters on the site plan that correspond to the four answer choices, A, B, C, or D. So thinking about, again, what this question is really testing you on, it's, in my opinion, two things. First, if you can't read a topography map, uh, this it's going to be pretty impossible to answer a question like this. So I'd make sure that you're all familiar with topography lines and practice reading some, some topography maps. There's um, You could certainly get faster at it if you do a little bit of practice. Um, the second part of this question, uh, what you're being tested on, is really about making a qualitative decision about which part of this site would be best to place a building on based on the owner's requirements. Um, so I would suggest if you get a question like this, let's first get a lay of the land of the site, and then we'll reread those owner requirements and think about each choice. So if you're not too familiar with topography maps, uh, think about uh, a topography map as a drawing that slices through the ground at regular intervals. In, in this case, uh, the intervals noted on the map are five-foot intervals because you've got 605, 610, and they move up to in five-foot increments uh, towards 615 and 620 and so on and so forth. So if you've ever made a, a chipboard site model in your studio class, you probably made that site model um, pretty much by making the topography map. You, you stack a bunch of pieces of chipboard of the same thickness, which represents that contour interval, on top of each other, and each of them has a slightly different curve to it. And once you're done and you have a bunch stacked up, it kind of resembles some, some hills and valleys. So I like to start analyzing a topo map by first finding the highest and lowest numbers noted on the map. So here, 635 is in two spots here. And um, that's the highest number out of anything we see here in the southeast corner of the site. And 605, which we have two here, are the two lowest, uh, are, is the lowest number noted on this map. So generally you can say this site slopes from this high point up here, downward and towards the northwest, towards sort of this this low point here. So we've got a site that slopes generally that way. Um, moving down from, so moving down from the top from, from 635, you'll see 630 and then 625. And 625 is here. It just about wraps around. If you were to continue this, this map beyond the property line, I would imagine that it wraps around and, and sort of does something like that. So the second highest part of this site is is sort of up here at 625. So you can just patch those in a little bit. Um, so what you're kind of left with here is there's there's kind of two hills that are building up in the southeast and southwest portions of the site. There's kind of a valley down the middle 
uh, down here that, that's running towards the northwest of the site where your low point is. And that kind of indicates in that valley, that's probably where all of the water from these hills is going to shed down the hills and run in this valley down to the low point because water is going to seek the path of least resistance downhill. Um, another thing to think about on topo maps is how close the lines are to each other. So even though this map doesn't have a scale on it and you can't necessarily calculate a slope because of that, um, closer lines on a topo map always mean a steeper slope and conversely, uh, wider lines, wider spaced lines always indicate a more flat area. So on this particular map, we can see that the steepest part of the site is kind of this, this hill here. Um, these, these distances are a lot closer than let's say these distances here, indicating that this portion of the site is pretty steep this is somewhat steep, but again, it's, it's a little bit flatter in, uh, in this area. So now that we've got the site figured out, there's this valley between two hills. And the two hills are about 10 feet different in height. Let's look at the client requirements again so we can start thinking about where to place the building. Um, the client wants the restaurant to have a view towards the northeast. So we have a north arrow here and northeast is obviously this way um, because there is a famous valley just underline northeast there's a famous valley about half a mile away in the direction of the northeast so noting the direction of this view is critical but it's, it's also important to pay attention to what the view is of uh, and in this case it's a valley beyond the site since we're since we're looking at a valley and not say a mountain range, we we need to keep any obstructions on the site out of the way of this building because the view of a valley is going to be somewhat downward when we're when we're um, talking about viewing from a mountainous area towards a valley. So we're really going to want to keep anything on on our site that's in the way of a view to the northeast uh, out of the way, which means we're going to not place the building so that there's something uh, in the way of that view. And just a little note here, for the sake of the exam, when we're talking about a northeast view, I would assume that that view is exactly northeast, like 45 degrees northeast, not a little bit more north and not a little bit more east, uh, just unless it's specified, just assume a 45 degree angle. So let's go through these answer choices starting uh, from the top, starting with choice A. So Choice A is located between 620 and 625. So it's on the relatively high portion of the site. So that's beneficial. Um, but what we can see if we were to draw that 45 degree line towards the Northeast from choice A, um, that, that hill is, is in the way of it. And since we're, you know, if we're at six, if we're between 620 and 625, the building will be maybe at 622 or something. We've got a hill that's at 635, that's you know 12 or 13 feet above this building. So that that hill in my mind is definitely going to block um, your view of this valley that the client wants. So choice A is probably not the best choice. And I would say choice D 
is, which is similar and located between 625 and 630, so it's a little bit higher, but it's a little bit higher, but it's even more blocked from by this hill from a view towards the northeast. So I would I would eliminate those two choices um, right off the bat. Moving on to moving on leftward here, which is westward on our site. Choice C is at the same elevation as choice A, so it's about 622 feet in elevation. And it's got a pretty good view towards the northeast. I mean, it's not really blocked by this hill. These, if you draw that diagonal line there, it cuts through the 615 and 620 contour lines there. So you're you're going to be able, you're not going to have a direct obstruction like you did with choices A and D in your way. Um, so so choice C is starting to look good, but uh, just like with question one, we want to look at every choice specifically for questions where they're asking us to make a qualitative decision about which is the best answer. Um, because even though choice C might be good, choice the last remaining choice here, choice B, could be better. So let's take a look at choice B. Choice B is located just pretty close to the lowest um, part of this site here. And so that's not great for a view. There's, there's nothing directly in the way of choice B, so that's a positive. But again, choice C is at a higher elevation. Uh, the other the other issue with choice B that I would say is that when we were talking about the topography of the site earlier and how the water would probably drain off the site, you can see that choice B is located directly in the valley of the site. So it's going to have a whole host of of water shedding towards it, which is is not the best location for a building um, placing it in a valley. So I would say it arguably offers a, a little bit of a worse view than choice C. So um, for that reason, I would pick choice C over it anyway, but the fact that choice B is in this valley and um, might have some, some challenges in diverting stormwater around it is going to lead me to eliminate choice B and go with choice C as the correct answer for this question. Um, you might see a question like this on the exam as maybe a drag and drop question or hotspot question. And for those situations, obviously there's a little bit more information to, uh, to evaluate because you're not given four choices that you can just go through like I did here and, and think about which is the best one. You, in, in those types of questions, you could place the building anywhere on the site. Um, so it's just important to, it's still the same logic that you need to work through. It's important if you get a question like this, that's a, an image-based question to just take your time and really evaluate the different options on the site that uh, where you could place the building. I mean, if this was a drag and place or hotspot question, I might consider placing the building up in this corner, which uh, would probably give the best view of that. Um, of that valley towards the northeast. But since that wasn't an answer choice here, um, we couldn't choose it, so that's not correct. And choice C was the best option of those presented. So let's move on to question three now, which as you can see is pretty long. It's, it's one of these mini case study questions that can really trip you up because these can take a ton of time. So I wanna go through this one with you the way that I would tackle it to 
spend the least amount of time on it and, and still get it correct. But um, obviously this is a timed exam, so you wanna be efficient with every question. And this long question, that's two pages on our slide deck here, is worth the same number of points as any other question on the exam. So you don't wanna devote more time to it to getting it correct. Um, as you would any other question. So whenever I see a question like this, I, I want to go straight to the actual question that's being asked. It's it's nice to read that first and, and get a sense of where where this all of this information is leading you. Um, and it's pretty similar to how it works in real life also. You know, you usually when you're practicing architecture, you you know the question that you're trying to answer before you do all of the research that's going to inform your solution. So I, I think it's more intuitive to do it this way, and, and I would I would suggest that you try it out. Um, so the question here, which is on page two, is which of the following arrangements meets the client's requirements, fits on site, and is permitted by the zoning ordinance? So we have three considerations to to think about in this question. Uh, they're probably not in the order that we'll analyze them in, but that's fine. And at this point, I, I also like to take a peek at the answer choices um, before I even read through the question. So here we can see that uh, looking at choices A through D, that the, the differences in the choices really comes down to two factors, um, the number of stories and the total size of the building. The Each answer has, has 48 parking spaces in it. So um, sort of by default, parking can't be a driving factor in this answer unless it really affects if the building can fit on the site. Um, so let's let's now read through the entire question. We're going to outline with this information in mind, with what we know what the question's asking and what the possible choices are. Um, we're going to read the question and we're going to underline the important information that we think will lead us to the correct answer. So. An architect is meeting with a new client about a new headquarters building for their company. The client is interested in purchasing a site that is that has 300 feet of frontage and is 150 feet deep. So I would say with any question, whenever you're given a lot size, that's probably going to be critical information. But we know from looking at the answer choices here that um, one of the factors that differentiate, differentiates the choices is the size of the building. So probably, and, and whether or not the building's going to fit on site. So the size of the site is probably going to be a critical information to, critical piece of information to answer this question. And then we are provided with the following list of client requirements. Uh, so the first one here, the least number of stories possible to fit the required program. I'm going to put a star next to that on the exam. You would underline it, um, but that's definitely going to factor into the answer here, since we know that the one differentiating factor in the answers is the number of stories um, for each of the proposed answers. So uh, a super critical piece of information in my mind. The second one here, the 48 parking spaces, is probably not critical. I mean, remember that each answer choice had 48 parking spaces provided. So um, it's, it's great that that matches up with the answer choices, but again, we can kind of, it's good that we read it and we understand it, but it's probably not going to impact our answer too much. Maybe it'll impact whether or not we can fit all of this stuff on site, 
um, but for, for our purposes, we won't star it um, or underline it at the moment, and we'll move on. Um, the client also wants us to use the maximum allowable floor area. Um, certainly important, since we know that the size of the building is a differentiating factor amongst our answers. So we will underline that one. Um, the last client requirement here is that the client wants 10 foot ceiling heights and they want you to assume a one foot deep floor to ceiling construction. Um, since we're talking about, if you skip ahead here a little bit, um, the maximum height of the building is listed at 42 feet down here, uh, just reading ahead a little bit. And our answer choices are between two stories or three stories. They're, those are the only two options. So even the tallest building that, that we could answer would be three stories with 10 foot ceiling heights plus one foot uh, on each ceiling for 11 feet total. So you would have a 33 foot tall building according to the client's requirements and the maximum building height is 42 feet. So we know any answer choice here meets the client requirement here and it's going to meet the maximum building height in this zoning ordinance. So I would say that's probably not a critical piece of information to answer the question. Uh, moving on, after performing a preliminary zoning analysis, the architect determines the following zoning requirements for the site. Here again, we're provided with the FAR. That's going to be critical. So now we have the FAR, the size of the site, and we know that the client wants to use the maximum floor area. Um, that might lead us to our first step in, in answering this question. Um, moving on, we've got the second zoning requirement here. Uh, one space required per 1,000 feet of gross area. While looking at our answer choices, the biggest building that's there is 48,000 square feet, which would require 48 parking spaces, which is the client requirement, and every answer choice has 48 parking spaces. So none of the answer choices are going to run into this zoning requirement as, as saying that you can't go with that answer choice. So this, this piece of information is kind of a moot point. Um, we already talked about the maximum height of the building, not affecting the answer here. So we're gonna move past that one. Um, setbacks, we, we know one of the three criteria for this question is whether or not everything is going to fit on the site. So of course, setbacks are going to affect where you can place your building and, and uh, all it's going to be to, to get the most efficient sized building. So setbacks are going to be critical. And the last requirement here on the last zoning requirement is a maximum of two curb cuts are allowed on the site. Um, that might become important information when we are checking that everything fits on the site, but um, we'll, we'll keep that in the back of our mind. So, like I said, we, we know we're going to use the maximum floor area here because it's a client client requirement. So let's um, let's calculate what the maximum allowable floor area is. And remember from our first question that floor area, uh, the maximum allowable floor area on a site is the FAR times the lot size. It's not times the lot area after you take setbacks into account. That's a, a common uh, misconception. So Simply, we're going to multiply the FAR by the lot size, and we'll, we'll deal with setbacks in a minute when we uh, lay this building out. 
in a preliminary way. So we've got uh, the lot size of 300 feet times 150 feet, and that is 45,000 square feet. That's the symbol for square feet. Um, and we've got an FAR of 0 0.8. So if you do the math there, um, you are going to have a result of 36,000 square feet. Um, and every time you get a piece of information, I would check to see if it eliminates any answers. And um, here, choice B right off the bat is going to be incorrect because it doesn't comply with zoning. It's, it's a 48,000 square foot building and being permitted by the zoning ordinance is a uh, requirement. Well, anywhere, but uh, but also it's a specific requirement to answer this question. So we can we can eliminate choice B. And then if we just peek at the remaining choices, we have we have two with 36,000 square foot buildings, but different heights. And we have a 30,000 square foot building that is listed as three stories. So looking at these choices, choice A would be the, the client's preference, right? It maximizes the floor area. It's the least number of stories out of what's listed, and it has 48 parking spaces. So on the exam, I would move along to analyze choice A now to determine if it complies with zoning and if the program actually fits on the site. Um, because if, if it doesn't do either of those two things, we might need to look at a smaller building um, maybe choice C, the 30,000 square foot building. Um, or we could look at choice D, which is three stories and fits all of the floor area. But since it's three stories, maybe the parking would be easier to fit on site. Um, could we lay this out? So let's lay out the setback requirements on our site and we'll see what we're left with. So remember, we've got 300 feet of frontage um, so the long side of the site will be one of the front lot lines, and we've got a 150 foot deep site. Um, so based on our setback requirements, which go here, there is a rear yard requirement of 30 feet and five feet side yard requirements. So we can draw that 30 foot rear yard and these five foot, which are really small in this diagram, uh, setbacks, um, which if this is 30, this leaves us with 120. And if these are each five and five and the whole thing is one is uh, 300 feet, that leaves us with 290 feet. So Based on the setbacks, this building can be 120 feet deep uh, in, in this direction. So we're gonna try to lay this out as efficiently as possible because remember we need to, one of the requirements of this question is that we need to fit everything on the site with the parking. So for the purposes of this, let's assume a two-story cube that goes all the way to the setback lines. Um, 36,000 square foot building divided by two 
means that we're going to have 18,000 square feet per floor. Um, 18,000 square feet per floor. And if we divide that by 120, which is the depth of the building, we're going to get a building that is 150 feet wide. So right about there is our building. Doesn't matter which side of the site you put it on, I just put it on the left. But that's our building footprint, which is 150. And since 290 minus 150 is 140, that's the remaining part of the site that we're going to check if the parking will fit. And you can do that math in reverse and sort of make sure that 150 feet times 120 feet times two equals 36,000 square feet. Um, so now that we have the most efficient two-story building on the site that complies with zoning, we need to make sure that 48 parking spaces can fit on site so we'll know if A is really correct. And then, like I said, if it's not, we're gonna consider the other answer choices. Um, just as an aside, parking layout used to be a pretty big part of the ARE. There was a, a vignette um, on the site planning and design exam where parking layout played a really big role in whether you'd pass or not. And um, it's still, you still need to be very familiar with how to lay out um, parking for the, the, um, for the current version, the ARE 5.0. So since none of the information about how big the parking is, is provided, let's just be conservative with dimensions so we can make sure that parking, uh, so, so that we can make sure that choice A is correct. Um, if we assume 10 feet by 20 feet parking spaces, which are, are somewhat large, they could go down to nine by 18, and some are a bit bigger than 10 by 20, but 10 by 20 is a pretty conservative estimate. Um, if we assume 10 by 20 with 24 foot aisles, we're going to end up with in the remaining um, parking area, we're going to be left with an arrangement that sort of looks like this. Multiplied by two. I'm just going to draw it here so we can see the dimensions. So we're going to have 20 feet, 24, and 20 feet, and then these are going to be 10 feet. So the way I would, um, the way I would try to figure out if this fits is I would draw this in here, all my parking. We're going to have four rows of parking with two drive aisles, two curb cuts, which as we remember is allowed by the zoning. And to drive in and out of this, you would simply go like that. And these are, since they're 24 feet wide, they're two-way drive aisles, so you can drive in either direction. Um, so now it's it's simply we need to see if this fits on the remaining 140 foot wide by 120 foot deep portion of the site. So we just said that uh, you know each parking spot is uh, 20 feet deep. So there's one, two, three, four of those, and there are two aisles here that are 24 feet wide. So if you do the math on that, you get 128 feet would be the minimum there, and that is less than 140 feet. So that's correct. And so that lets us know that this arrangement can fit, but we need to understand how many parking spaces here 
we can actually fit so we can determine if 48 spaces fit. Um, again, we have 120 feet long parking uh, lot. So if we just divide that by the 10 foot per space, that means that each of these can contain 12 parking spaces. And since there's four of them, four of them, 48 parking spaces will in fact fit with this building that meets the client's goals of maximizing the floor area and being the shortest building possible. Um, at, at this point, uh, I think we can safely say that A is the correct answer. I would definitely take a look back at the question and double check that we met all of the requirements and um, you know, think about all the unnecessary information that was included in there also. That's, that's definitely something that's going to happen on the exam. And for that reason, I think it's important to move through the questions uh, the way that I just did. So with that said, let's move on to number four, which here are the answer choices, is another question about topography. And just like the second question we looked at today, if you're if you have trouble reading topo maps, you're going to have a hard time answering this one correctly. So let's read the question and think about what they're testing our knowledge of. An architect has been hired to design an outdoor pavilion for an existing nature preserve. The preliminary location of the pavilion is shown on the site plan. Just peeking ahead, uh, that's going to be this in each of the answer choices. And along with an accessible route from the pavilion to the public way. One of the client requirements is to not disturb any of the trees on site. Which of the following diagram shows an appropriate adjustment to the site's contours to allow for stormwater runoff while disturbing the least amount of existing topography? Let's look at the choices again. So the goal of this question is pretty simple. It's maybe the simplest one that we've seen today. And they're really just testing our knowledge of what a properly graded site looks like um, in preparation for a building. So um, the whole premise of grading a site for stormwater management is, is really about creating a building pad that's going to divert water away from the structure. And again, reading the topo map here is going to be critical to answering this question. So let's analyze what's going on with the site. Um, We've got a contour line. We'll just look at choice A here because the, the existing topography is the same in all of these choices, but we've got topo lines of 100 on the right side of the site, 70 on the left, and moving downward um, pretty regularly um, across the site. So we've clearly got a slope from the east to the west of the site, and the building is going to be placed around the 90-foot contour line. So if you if you take a step back and you think about if I did no site prep on the site whatsoever and I just plopped a building down, um, the problem is, and I'm just going to draw on, on choice A here, the problem is you'd have water running downhill, plopping into the back side of this building and sort of running along the building on both sides um, to find the path of least resistance downhill to, to get um, to a, a river or a stream or something. So we know that we obviously want to divert water away from the building foundation for a variety of reasons. So we need to find which of these four solutions does that in the best way possible. Um, so first off, if we if we look at these choices, uh, you know, there's no legend provided here, but I, I would say looking at these, the lighter 
topo lines are the same in each diagram. That's these lines here. They're all the same. And the darker lines, which we can see here, are sort of what change in each diagram. So even without a legend looking at this, I would assume that these lighter um, dashed lines um, represent the existing topography and the darker dashed lines represent um, proposed changes to the topography to allow for, for drainage um, on this site. So let's look through the four, the four choices and think about which one is going to effectively provide drainage. drainage. Um, choice A, they've, they've definitely got a building pad that's going around this building. Um, they've created a flat area between a relatively flat area between 90 and 95 feet. Um, and, and that's kind of good, but one of the one of the issues with this is that the, the water, which I drew here before for what would happen on an undisturbed site, the water's still gonna sort of do the same thing. There's nothing on this diagram that is gonna get the water around the the proposed building in an efficient way. So while A does create that building pad, that's an important aspect of, of site drainage. Um, I would say there's still some drainage issues that are, are going to be um, imminent if, if this was the topography modification that was chosen for the building. So we can just mark choice A as incorrect, I think. Um, moving on to choice B. Uh, right off the bat, if you, if you notice, choice B and choice C are kind of the same thing, but in reverse order. That could be a hint that, um, that you should think about usually when you see a multiple choice question with two answers that are opposites of each other, you, you might want to start looking at those answers first on the test. Um, so with, with choice B here, um, what's happening is these the design is creating these sort of swales that they're called, and this line in particular is creating the building pad here, um, that are going to run in concert with each other and they're going to divert water that's coming from this way around the building. And that's a good thing. Um, there, there's some water that could get on here, but it's still going to slope downward. All of these slopes move away from the building, and there's going to be minimal or really, if any, water that finds its way towards the building itself. So the the idea here is that the building pad is sort of on a, a very slight hill that in every direction, some directions more than others, but in every direction is shedding water away from the building. So choice B is looking pretty good. I still want to go through the other choices because one of the requirements here was disturbing the least amount of existing topography. So it's totally possible that one of these choices also uh, divert stormwater away, but disturbs less uh, topography. Um, choice C, like we said, is the inverse of choice B, and this is actually going to do sort of the opposite effect of choice B. Um, the swales are always going to point like they do in choice B. They're going to point uphill, and with these reverse swales, we're actually just creating hills where the water is going to run down the hill and towards the building, which is not good. Uh, choice C might be the worst choice of those listed here. Um, moving on to choice D. 
choice D, uh, just first glance looking at it, it definitely disturbs the least amount of topography out of this question. And we know that's a requirement of the, of the question itself. So it deserves some thought. Um, it's definitely got some swales created here, these little things on each side of the building. So that's, you know, looking at it first glance, it's sort of a positive. It's gonna drain water that way. Um, but there are some issues with it. It's it's going to drain any water that comes from the sides of the building away, but there's this huge flat undisturbed area in here where the water is still going to come, just like I drew in, in choice A here, the water is still going to come and hit the back of the building and run around the building and probably create some foundation issues for you. So um, while it does meet one of the requirements of the question, in disturbing the least amount of site area, I would say it doesn't effectively manage stormwater. So I would, for that reason, eliminate D. And then I think, after having gone through all of these answers, that we can safely say choice B is the best answer. So moving on to the last question, it's, it's kind of another mini case study question with a ton of information. And again, I'm gonna suggest reading the question first, peeking at the answer choices, and, and then reading the entire question before you actually get into this. Um, it sounds like extra steps, but it's, it's actually gonna save you time, in my opinion, uh, as you move through the question. So the actual question here, which is on page two of the slide, says, what is the most likely course of action that will be taken based on the results of the environmental impact study? Which is, these are the results of the environmental impact study in the question. Um, and our, our choices here, we should peek at the choices now, are about um, reducing building height, redesigning the parking, applying for a variance, or hiring a hydrology consultant. So with that sort of base information, let's read through the whole question so we're familiar with the findings of this particular environmental impact study. And, um, and then we'll think about if, um, if any of the information found here is, is going to lead us to a correct or incorrect answer. So um, we've got the site is currently within a 100-year floodplain. Uh, it's impacting six acres with 30,000 cubic feet of uh, cut and fill required. Um, the, there's a low impact to the wetlands and the overall impact is listed as low. So um, these are all sort of environmental findings and the, the summary of the environmental portion of this is that the overall impact is low. Um, so we'll, we'll make a note of that. Um, potential for community disruption is medium. Uh, that's something to note for sure. We've got a low visual impact and a high traffic impact. And if we remember our answer choices, one of our choices was about building height and the other one was about parking. So maybe these two, maybe these two um, pieces of information are gonna be crucial. Um, none of the choices had to do with historic structures, and it says no historic structures are impacted. I would bet that that's a um, irrelevant piece of information. And finally, we get to land use, where we, we note that this is a, an R2 designated site, and the use of the proposed project is compatible, displacing just a few, two residences and zero businesses. So, again, think about what this question is really about. You're, you're being tested on if you can synthesize uh, a whole bunch of information provided from an environmental impact study or EIS. And 
and make a qualitative decision about the best path forward. So um, you're obviously going to need to know what the terms mean in this EIS, uh, you know, variant floodplain. You need to have an understanding of those con um, concepts. And but then you're you're going to need to think about what makes sense to move the project forward. Um, so let's go through each choice here on our second slide. Uh, choice A, reduce the building height. Um, think about which of these findings might lead you to consider reducing um, reducing the building height. The environmental considerations listed at the top here um, don't really have to do with height, so those are kind of irrelevant to this answer choice. And moving on, we can see that the visual impact, remember, is listed as low. Um, for this proposed development. So given that specific information, I would say that there's nothing to lead me to consider to, to consider reducing the building height here. So I'm going to mark that as incorrect. Um, choice B, redesign the parking layout. Again, there's, there's nothing in the environmental section of the findings that talks about parking, so we can sort of skip ahead here. Um, well, we see that the traffic impact is listed as high and you know there's even a medium medium potential for community disruption here um it seems like a logical choice at the moment having only gone through two of the two of the answer choices so let's keep it in mind and, and just go through the rest of the choices because this is a what is the most likely course of action type question um so we need to analyze all of the choices um Choice C, which is applying for a variance. Uh, so you need to know what a variance is. Uh, variances are used when a proposed project doesn't comply with the zoning requirements as they're written, and you, you typically you have to display a hardship in complying with those zoning requirements in order to have the municipality sort of consider you for as an exception and consider making an exception for your project moving forward. So. Going through the, the information, again, provided here, um, nothing really sort of at the top jumps out as affecting the zoning of the site. The, the only thing really is down at the bottom here, uh, land use designation R2, and it talks about the, um, the project being a compatible use with zoning. Um, so I would say right there that there's, uh, at least in terms of use regulations, this project complies with zoning and therefore would not be a good candidate to um, apply for a variance for. So I think choice C is probably incorrect. Um, the last one, choice D, hiring a hydrology consultant. Um, for this choice, we're going to look at any of the findings and see if they indicate there's an issue with potential stormwater management or groundwater or flooding. Um, it is noted that this building is in a 500-year floodplain. Um, and looking through the rest of the information provided here, um, there's there's no wetlands impact listed, and I'm not seeing anything about stormwater issues. So let's just think about the 500-year floodplain um, comment in this EIS. Um, this is a relatively low chance of the pro property flooding. It, 500-year floodplain means there's statistically anyway a chance that it will flood once every 500 years. Um, you know, if this said a 100-year floodplain or something less than 100 years, you you might want to start making considerations about uh, siting the building 
raising the building maybe, or you might hire a hydrology consultant in that case to, to, to sort of deal with the storm potential for flooding. Um, but given that it's a 500 year floodplain and that we have a pretty good answer choice B here, um, I would say that D is correct and B is the most likely um, path forward for this project. So this is another long question that you can definitely get caught up on. Um, but I think that the I think that the um, thing that you have to keep in mind here is not to panic when you see long questions when you're taking these exams. Um, think about using the strategy that we use today, which is to, again, read the question, the actual question um, at the bottom um, of all the text, peek at the answers to get a sense of where you might be headed in terms of answering the question, and then read the background information and, and move through your answer choices methodically. Um, so that is it for today. Um, be sure to register for our next ARI live broadcast on Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. Uh, in honor of the summer solstice, we'll go through several mock exam questions for the Pro Programming and Analysis Division with a focus on sun, wind, and light. We'll discuss the sun path diagram, how to design with the sun in mind and for daylighting and passive heating, and how to use the wind for passive cooling. Just like for today's ARI Live, we'll be sending out a mock exam link in advance so you can test your PA knowledge before going over the answers during the live broadcast. I will post the link to register in the chat box in your GoToWebinar control panel, or you can go to go.blackspectacles.com forward slash ARE dash live to sign up. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the webinar, Black Spectacles offers the first and only ARE Pass guarantee. We're so confident that if you use our expert membership to the fullest, you will pass the ARE. And if you don't pass, we'll pay for your retake. To learn more about how to qualify for the guarantee or to check out individual membership options, head to go.blackspectacles.com. And I just shared a link with more information on the guarantee in the chat. To learn more about how you can get your whole firm on a membership and get your boss to pay for it, go to blackspectacles.com and head to our group pricing section. I just shared a link in the chat box for that also. As I mentioned earlier, we recently rolled out section quizzes for all six of the ARI 5.0 divisions to help you pass your exams. There's over 500 quiz questions now available with any Black Spectacles membership. Use our quizzes to identify where you're strong and what areas need more attention and master the material with detailed explanations for every answer. We're adding new test prep content all year, so stay tuned to see what's next. The lucky winner of our Black Spectacles t-shirt is Esther K. Congratulations, and we'll reach out to you via email to get your sizing and shipping information. Uh, just a reminder, if you'd like to be eligible to win a t-shirt, post a question you have about our featured topic in our community during our next ARI Live. And our community is always buzzing. It's not just during ARE Live. So poke around and see what your fellow architects are up to and ask them about. Finally, be sure to stick around for a few minutes to take our survey and share any suggestions you may have. I promise we read every word that you write and use them to fine tune our upcoming episodes. Thanks for watching.